0: This is Soccer City. Uh, We'll be heading to Flushing Meadows for our Soccer on the Block with a coach, a parent, and a player from the Bolaños Soccer Academy, a fixture for both youth and adult soccer for over 25 years in Queens. And later, Sports Illustrated's Grant Wall, he's got a new book with fascinating insight with uh, some of the most influential players and coaches in the global soccer community. People like Pulisic, Alonso, Neuer, Chicharito, and Asario. This book, a must-read, therefore, the interview coming up. A must listen. On Sunday night at Yankee Stadium, New York City recovered nicely from their first loss of the season at Portland, a 3-1 triumph over previously unbeaten FC Dallas. The story of the game, David Villa, a pair of goals, including the 400th of his career, the eventual game winner on a penalty kick. The whistle blows, here's Villa. And there it is! (laughs) David Villa looks to the sky with his arms outstretched. He kisses the New York City FC logo on his jersey and is getting hugs from all his teammates. A great moment in soccer here at Yankee Stadium.
1: It's a perfect moment. First of all, great for us to come back uh, after a big mistake that we make. Uh, we made him in Portland. The team can do that uh, sometimes, but it's important for the mentality, for the performance of the team to come back the the most quickly possible.
0: At number 401 was followed later by Via, A high-energy moment that surprised the back line and placed him one-on-one with the former New York Cosmos goalkeeper Jimmy Maurer. This game heard on WNYE 91.5 FM. New York City head coach Patrick Vieira said that that second VIA goal epitomized the prolific VIA, now the fifth active goal scorer across the globe, behind Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Zlatan Ibrahimović, and Luis Suarez.
2: He, he fight for it. The goal wasn't there. He fought against two defenders. And uh, he didn't give up, he was there. And this is the moment where he showed his desire to to score that goal. And his competitiveness, I think, he's, he's a fighter, especially when he's inside the box. If you are maybe a different type of player, he will just gonna give up because he may gonna think he doesn't have a chance. But David always think that he has a chance to score the
0: goals. Villa said his favorite goals to score are with his head. Since at 5'9", those are a bit more difficult for him. But the most memorable finish in his career it came against Manchester United for Barcelona. Villa scoring the critical insurance goal as Barca defeated United three to one in the 2011 Champions League final. Villa has now scored against every MLS team with the exception of Colorado and expansion LAFC. For New York City, their first win ever over FC Dallas, and the boys in blue will move ahead of Atlanta and into first place of the Eastern Conference and overall in Major League Soccer. Laying low from the spotlight, but an important cog at the back in Sunday night's win was center back Sebastian Ibiaga, the 2017 USL Defender of the Year, making his second spot start in place of Maxime Cheneau, who was tending to a personal matter with his family. Ibiaga got the job done in the win over the L.A. Galaxy in Week 2 and impressed his coach once again on Sunday.
2: Seb uh, surprised me every, uh, every day. He played today like he was with us for the last three years, but at the same time, he's a really um, smart kid, working well in training, always asking questions. And um, and I'm really happy with the way he played today. And um, it wasn't easy at all because we played against, I believe, one of the best team in this league.
0: Ibiaga is a product of the Houston Dynamo Academy and a four-year starter at Duke. And he's managed to feel secure in his role.
3: I feel really confident in my game right now, and that's a testament to Patrick and the whole staff and the whole team. And I think that's kind of what he wants. He, uh, he, like he said, I said earlier, he preaches every week that anything can change, anyone can start. And so he wants everyone to be, you know, sharp and everything like that. And I've been
0: lucky and I've come on and I've done well. Competing week in and week out with three other central defenders, Chino, Alexander Collins, and Cedric Huntonji, who has yet to make his New York City FC debut. Next up... The Hudson River Derby. The New York Red Bulls will host City at Red Bull Arena this Saturday, the first of three meetings this season. The Red Bulls won seven of the first eight games in this series, but NYC has recovered with two wins and a draw in 2017. Last week, New York City unveiled its first team training facility, Eddie Hod City Football Academy in Orangeburg, New York. The facility shares the design elements uh, with the first two city football academies in Manchester and then Melbourne. Uh, It's got everything for the players and staff. Uh, I was among the media who got a tour and then was put through the paces, a gym workout. A technical warm-up with assistant coach Christian Wilson and observations by Vieira himself. I'm still feeling the effects, by the way. Vieira, though, does cherish the move from SUNY Purchase to the place they can now call home.
2: As a coach and as a, as a, as a team, we have everything that we need to, to, to improve ourselves and to work well. Um, you know, on the tactical side we have uh, the cameras around the field we we have a tv where we can move things around we we have they give us the tools to improve ourselves and uh, and i'm really happy with that and we have them more under control here because uh, the breakfast is really good we have our chef and that is an important tool as well to have we have our chef who make some fresh fruit so them to come early, have a good breakfast, training, have a good lunch. And they can even take some at home if they want.
0: Vieira says the entire team voluntarily comes in from breakfast. It's that good. Plus, it's about the preparation of the overall athlete.
2: I didn't need to say. They come in by themselves and all of them come in. And I think that's the, the good about this facility is that, you know, you can't fool players. They... they, they when you give them what they want to improve themselves and if you give them the tools then they will uh, they will do it Uh, i didn't need to tell them to uh, to come for breakfast they come in because they know the food is fresh they know that is good and they eat what they need
0: Tommy McNamara is one of those first-team players, a familiar face for the West Nyack, New York native, whose parents live just three miles from the facility. McNamara, he played in the town's rec league when he was three and four years old and used to ride his bicycle in the area.
2: It was just a plot of just plot of land, just with trees and everything across the street, the same thing, I believe, until they built it. You know, my sister grew up on the fields across the street, my
0: cousin's did and still continue to play on those streets so yeah so it's like full circle basically never in a million years when I was growing up did I imagine that this would be here but then it didn't even cross my mind that there would be a professional soccer team here that the training facility would be here none of that soccer is very popular here there's a lot of there's a lot of young kids that play the sport and so it's nice to kind of introduce ourselves into the community and integrate with it I'm looking forward to see that relationship kind of blossom but for me I hope it it kind of continues the growth of soccer and so hopefully us being here kind of gives them a sense of you know pride and they kind of they see us and they say oh we can do that ourselves they're right here they're across the street. That's Tommy McNabara his cousins and his sister played in the fields across the street which is now the home of the world-class soccer club and the New York City FC Academy Girls. New York City FC President John Patrickoff he was on hand for the ribbon-cutting last week and it didn't take long for the reporters to uh, move past the new training facility to an update on a potential stadium site especially with a rendering at harlem river yards making the rounds on social media
3: reluctant to kind of comment on kind of where we are specifically on any on any site um, but you know as you can see i mean there was an rfei that was out and you know we we, we submitted for I mean, obviously those materials for the rfei um that process hasn't really gone anywhere since then, as far as we know. At least we haven't been notified of anything further.
0: So it's, it's a few, a few sites. In addition to Harlem River Yards, there has been speculation on a couple of other sites at the Major Deegan and 153rd Street in the Bronx and a Willett's Point in Queens, although those have not been confirmed by the club. Quite close to Willett's Point is the home of the Bolaños Soccer Academy. Soccer on the Block takes us to Flushing Meadows, Corona Park. I drove in from New Jersey on a beautiful Saturday morning. The iconic leftover for the 1964 World's Fair, that massive silver globe in the background at every angle of the soccer fields where thousands of young and old alike can express their passion for the game every weekend, really every day. It is where the Bolaños Soccer Academy was born over 25 years ago. The founders, Luis Bolaños, who was a first division player in Colombia with clubs including Medellin, and his two sons, Emerson and Jair. And it was Jair who I had a chance to speak with after he had finished up coaching a team of eight year olds.
1: Okay, all old starter, uh, my dad, which, you know, he always was into soccer, he was like coaching uh, teams here. Like, you know, all the teams, like, you know, first division and all that. Over here in Amateur, you know, I'm Amateur I'm games and all that here in Flushing. And then we had the idea to make a school, you know, like, you know, a soccer academy for the kids and all that. And then we started in 1993. And then we, uh, you know, at that time it was the, the, the World Cup was like the next year, 94. So that was the full, full, uh, you know, it was very exciting. And then it was pretty good. Everybody, you know, everybody joined it. A lot of people joined it, and like I said, there's a lot of people being through the through, through the academy, through the, you know, through the years. A lot, a lot of people. Mostly, most of the people that you see here now playing, older, older guys, and all they've been through my, my academy. Yeah. So yeah, this is what we've been doing for all these times, coaching and then uh, you know, you know, coaching and, and having fun. I, mean, I love this. This is
0: what we love. It really must be thousands of kids that have come oh, through this.
1: You. Listen, um, right now we have kids. That you know now the dots bring the the, the the kids now that I used to coach, so now you know it's, it's a lot of stories that I have. You know the kid that does my taxes, he was my my student here when he was eight years old. You know so all that's you know it's a lot a lot of things and it, that's that's what brings you you know that's all that I have all the memories and the good you know, and the good uh the, the good times that we had and, and, and that's all we have that's all we have and, and I enjoy it every time of it. I enjoy it and you know see the kids now they are professionals they they. You know, soccer was a big part of their lives. So they went through college to that. They, they had, they professionals now. They have a career, and then that's all. You know, that's that's. that's I feel great about it. You know, that's. That'd
0: be Do you have uh, stories of kids that maybe came from more underserved communities where they through the academy they got to play and then got to move on to college and get scholarships?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I have a couple of kids. Like I said, the kid that uh, that is doing my taxes now, he went to school because of soccer. He went to school, he got a scholarship, and then he tells me all the time, listen coach, I I mean I'm here because of you guys, you know? And then that's that's grateful. I mean that's to be grateful and I feel so good about it. And now another kid, uh Chris, Christian Camacho, he also played, he went to Europe. He played a couple of years over there in I think
0: it was Moldova. Uh, the fam- I see so many families, yes. you know, and and I I walked in and there was a a boy uh, playing with his mom and his mom played in a league that is uh, going on tomorrow, you know, not necessarily yeah. part of your academy, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's a great atmosphere here, eh?
1: Yeah, definitely. This is the mecca, like we said. I mean, uh, this is the mecca of soccer in Queens. Everybody gets. I mean, because it's easier to get here. Yeah. It's, like train, it's like you catch the train. It's like catch the seven. You're right there. Driving is close walking, because most of the people, the communities are from here, Corona, and they're around the, around the area, so they come walking, and this is the best place to, 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 to practice the game, because, you know, we got free, you know, everything is free here, you come and play, there's a league, there's leagues, everything, and then and daily, you see people playing, and when there's no leagues, there's no permits, I mean, you don't need a permit just to play it every day. We have permits to play, like, Saturdays and stuff like that, because we have a league, but, like, mostly, like, in, in the weekdays, just people come and play games, you know, for fun, and then you know that's what we do this is we've been doing this for so long it's like we've been here we've been here for like most of my, most
0: of my life so it's a it's a majority immigrant uh, yeah. community yes yeah.
1: i will say that 90 percent is mostly spanish people like you know it's a big community colombia ecuador peru you know all that mostly you know it's i seen you know we have some chinese kids too you know russians you know from all over the place but mostly uh, spanish spanish uh, latin
0: community what is the structure? Do they train during the week and then play on the weekend? How, how does we that work? We
1: practice uh, every Tuesday and Thursdays from 5 to 7, field number 7. And, and then we play Saturdays. We play Saturdays. We have a tournament. We're going to start. I mean, we're playing friendly games now. All these are friendly games, but we start in, hopefully we start in um, the first week of May.
0: Jair himself, he's a player. Uh, he had professional potential. After playing collegiately for Ulster Community College, they finished third in the country in 1993. And years ago, a familiar name played a role in the academy, uh, first as a player and then as a coach, the current Mexican national team coach. I want to ask about Juan Carlos Osorio because I I, I heard that he played and then coached here. So he, he came from Colombia. Was working construction or something. So how did you? How did he find you, or you find him? Listen,
1: we actually had a good relationship with him. We played together for a couple of years. We, you know, we used to. He used to coach me, but he was a very good player as well. He used to play with us and all that, and he was very well. He was good actually playing soccer. So we played for a long time. We played together. A nice guy, you know, very helpful. He went He got into um, a lot of physique. He, he used to. He like He loved to train and, and, and you know all that, and then uh, he tried to introduce that to us, like, you know you know, eat well and all that stuff. And it was hard because everybody was working. So we're trying to, you know, he's trying to, no, eat this, organic food, this and that, but everybody was like, oh my God, well, how are we gonna do this? You know, we gotta go work and then all that stuff. But you know, he, he definitely tried and then,
0: and then he made it, <laughs> he made it like 100%. So Juan Carlos was here on a Tuesday yeah. and a Thursday playing on a Saturday? He
1: was playing soccer everywhere. And you know, it's, a, it's an example for everybody here that like, if you really want some and you, if you really believe in what you in what you want, that's not that's not the better than that. That's the best example you can get.
0: All right, and there are many Mexicans among the mix for the Bolaños Academy, the melting pot of soccer in Queens, which is one reason why Jair feels strongly that a professional team in the neighborhood would be welcomed nearby Willits Point, a possible stadium site for New York City FC.
1: I think uh, you know be, it would be a big success because everybody hears about soccer. Uh, soccer is the main sport here. Like, everybody loves soccer. Like, in our countries, soccer is the main sport, and like we come from Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, the soccer is the main sport. And then, if we have it right here around the corner, what are we we're gonna do? We're gonna go and watch the games, you know, because we like the, we like the game. It would be a big success. I will definitely that will definitely be. It. I mean, I have no doubt. Cause soccer now is big. It's like you know, I, I couldn't believe it when I got here in the 80s, in the uh, late 80s, it wasn't like that. It, soccer was like starting, and people like it here and there, but. But now everybody plays soccer. It's amazing. Everybody plays soccer. And nationality, it doesn't matter. Everybody plays soccer. Without a stadium, look at this. Imagine the stadium here. Soccer would be crazy.
0: Well, regardless, the atmosphere is festive in the park. Boys, girls, men and women, families enjoying the culture and the spoils of the sport they love.
1: Latin people are very, you know, happy. And, and, and they, you know, they, they, they create a, a, you know, party with, <laughs> without anything. So we we always happy. It's about being happy, playing the game, and being there. You know, people just come here, ten o'clock, and be and leave here ten o'clock. You know, at night, being here just in the game, you stay, the train. You don't have to pay. You don't have to spend a lot of money. And then, as like I said, they, just, they come here and then they just leave. People cry when, when the, the, the winter comes because they got to do, you know, they, they won't be able to come here.
0: Uh, the Bolaños Academy, they've got a Facebook page if you want to check it out or if you're in for a pickup game or want to join a league, just bring your boots and your game to Flushing Meadows Corona Park. Next week, an Ecuadorian women's player tells the story of how she found a team and a league and why the families play such a big role in its success. We're happy now to be joined by Grant Wall. He's the senior writer at Sports Illustrated and contributor to Fox Sports and author of the just-released Masters of Modern Soccer. I'm holding it right here. You can't see it, though. This is the radio. Grant, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Glenn. This is awesome. And going through this book, very exciting. And you have all these different uh, possibilities because you go by position. You go by forward, uh, midfielder, back goalkeeper, coach or manager, and then also sporting director. So the, you had myriad choices of, of all these positions. How did you How did you narrow it down to these guys?
3: The fun part at the start of this book was to actually make sort of uh, a ideal draft list of the top five people I would pick for each position that's represented in the book because I wanted one to represent each of the spots you just mentioned on the field and coach and, and director of football. And thankfully, luckily, I got my top choice in just about every one. And the couple I didn't get my very top choice, I got the number two or three person. And I was looking for people who were extremely accomplished, world class, or were very close to it, but also who were extremely intelligent about explaining how they do their job. And that's a pretty small group, not that. High a percentage of practitioners are that great at explaining their talent in detail, and these guys all were how did you determine that
0: though before you actually sat down with them?
3: You know some of these guys I had had interactions with before, like Shabi Alonzo, I'd gotten to know over the last several years, had interviewed him several times, knew he'd be great for this book uh you know he's going to be a great manager someday, really smart player for so long. And then other people I had not interviewed, like Vincent Company. with those guys, it was more about doing some research myself, seeing how they did interviews, and then talking to journalist friends of mine uh, in different countries, including over in Europe, and just asking them, you know, do you think this guy would be a really smart interview? And that winnowed out a few people, but also confirmed my thoughts on, suspicions on some of these guys. And to my luck, all of these guys were great, and not even in their first language all the time. Like, Shabby Alonzo in English was terrific. Neuer. All these interviews were done in English, and yet uh, the guys were really expressive.
0: You mentioned it a little bit earlier there. There were maybe some that uh, that were your top choices that you didn't get. My question here was, is there anybody you really wanted to speak to for this book who kind of denied that chance?
3: The Maybe the The manager position ended up being Roberto Martinez, which was fantastic because Roberto, U.S. fans, U.S. TV watchers know him very well from all the great work he's done over the years uh, for ESPN during summer tournaments. Really insightful about the game. Uh, I I had approached Jurgen Klopp first, um, and Klopp was like, you know, I would love to do something Uh, with you for Sports Illustrated at some point, but I I really don't want to give away my secrets. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. In the end, I ended up doing it with Roberto, who was terrific. And you never know what's going to happen. These are two years of interviews with these guys. And when we first started the interviews with Roberto, he was the Everton manager in early 2016. And then he got fired. And my first reaction was, oh boy, you know, this is going to be tough. And it actually turned out, For the book in a really positive way because he soon took the belgium job he could win the world cup this summer and so i went back and interviewed him as the belgium coach several months after he'd gotten into that job and he was so interesting at talking about the differences between being a top level club manager and a top level national team coach and how you have to basically change up how you do your job in a fundamental way.
0: Uh, Grant Wall, our guest, uh, regarding Martinez, he did a remarkable job at Wigan, which you point out in the book. He had to change because he's a a Spaniard and he had his own way to play. Uh, And so he had to kind of meld his desired tactics with the, uh, the English game.
3: Yeah, and adaptation is so such the key word of that chapter on Roberto Martinez because his whole career and actually his life is defined by adaptation. Here's a guy who grew up in Spain, uh, had very sp- Spanish uh, ideas about how to play the game, then goes to the UK and then spends almost the entirety of his playing career and the first several years of his managing career uh, in a culture that – he picked up some things and you know learned to value set pieces and other aspects of playing in a British style um, that I think have helped him. But he's always been very adaptive when it comes to working with the talent he has at his disposal and a willingness to change up what he's doing tactically uh, based on what he needs and is trying to achieve. And he did that over the years. I get into that in detail at Wigan, and it's a remarkable feat of staying up for as long as they did, given the talent and the money they actually had, which wasn't a lot.
0: You quoted some statistic that they were uh, 95% certain, based on some calculation, to, uh, to be relegated uh, every year that he was the manager.
3: Yeah. And that it took so long for it to finally happen. It says a lot about R- Roberto Martinez's abilities as a coach. And even that year, they won the FA Cup. So he's a good knockout tournament coach. And I think we're going to see that this summer with Belgium. Even the year that he got fired at Everton, they did really well in knockout tournaments. It was their position in the league and some of the defensive stuff that they dealt with that ended up spelling the end of his time at Everton.
0: Uh, before we leave, Martinez, I have to ask you, the, uh, it's a guy who really loves the flow of the game, uh, not necessarily dead ball situations. Did he really tell you that he thinks dead balls, set pieces, should <laughs> count as only half a goal? That is something that Roberto
3: has actually said in a few places over the years. Uh, which is amusing and obviously is is never going to happen, but it's something that he really puts uh, uh, a lot of respect on scoring goals in the run of play.
0: All right, let's go to the midfielders. You mentioned Xabi uh, Alonso, but in the chapter on midfielders, you merge Alonso with uh, someone very familiar to the American uh, public, uh, Christian Pulisic. So how, how, how exactly did you do that?
3: Well, this was... And why? uh, Yeah, this is the first chapter of the book, and it's on midfielders. And I wanted to have a defensive midfielder and an attacking midfielder. And uh, I wanted to have an American in the book. And Christian Pulisic is the closest thing to world class that we have on the men's side in American soccer. And I had spent a fair amount of time with Pulisic over the last couple years and had seen his growth in an interview setting in terms of uh, his ability to, uh, to show insight and, and to be thoughtful about the sport. And this book, for me, it confirms it. He Christian Pulisic, as a teenager, holds his own in what he says about how he plays his position with Shabi Alonso, a guy who is much older, who's won World Cups and Champions Leagues, and I think this is a side of Polisic that maybe American readers haven't totally seen yet and will be uh, really impressed with how he thinks the game. And I spent a, quite a bit of time with Christian and with Shabby, uh in front of a laptop uh, watching clips of them playing and to actually... It's funny, as a journalist, you speak to these guys after games, and, and by the
0: way, if I could interrupt, yeah. I'm extremely envious of the opportunity <laughs> that you had to sit there and watch this together with them, but go ahead
3: but i mean when you when you sit down with these guys, typically, as a journalist, after a game, you talk about the game and 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 that's fine, but it's very rare that you actually get into stepping back and talking to them in general terms and then very specific terms about how they play their position, how they approach what they do. It's kind of surprising to me that we don't have these conversations more often in the media, which the opportunity to watch an hour of video or two hours of video with Christian Pulisic and Inshabi Alonso was so educational to me, and just to get a sense of how they think the game and how they're always anticipating what could come next. What am I going to do here if I get the ball? Shabby Alonso? what happens if my team loses the ball? I need to be here. But also to get into, with both of them, some of the things that they're extremely good at, they're basically both finished products as teenagers in certain aspects. So Christian was talking about, when it comes to beating, taking guys on -on one-on-one and trying to beat them, I feel like I've already... I'm basically almost a finished product there, but where I need to really improve is what I do after I beat somebody and to be smarter with how I decide about being clinical in front of goal or sending a cross or a through ball or or whatever, shooting. Um, Xavi Alonso told me that his passing skills were basically a finished product by the age of 18, which is pretty impressive when you think about all the different types of passes that this guy unleashed over the
0: years. Um, but that, you, you described his distribution in the book as Chinese water torture <laughs> to the opponent.
3: But one area where Alonso said he wasn't a finished product and was still very much continuing his education and why he went to play for Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich was because he wanted to learn more about the positional aspects of the game and was continuously learning new things under Guardiola, who's fanatical about positioning uh, until he, uh, Alonzo retired just a couple years ago.
0: It's, it, he, uh, he is certainly the coach on the field. I mean, you describe certain situations where he's literally instructing during the run of play. The only thing missing is like a whiteboard <laughs> on the field. <laughs> yeah. So you, there's no question he's a manager, future manager.
3: He wants to be a future manager. Uh, in the last years of his career, Alonzo was keeping a notebook of notes for his future managing career that he and I talked about a bit Um, I think he's gone about it the right way. He didn't jump into a job immediately upon retiring as a player last year.
0: That's Grant Wall, a truly fascinating book, Masters of the Modern Game. We're going to need another episode to check out his choices at Defender and Forward. That'll be next week. You hear it every Tuesday, 1 o'clock, Soccer City. It's available on the TuneIn app and also iTunes. And our next live game broadcast Saturday, the Hudson River Derby. New York City crosses the river to beat rivals New York Red Bulls. Join me along with former NYC defender, Chris Wingert, airtime 145 p.m. for the pregame show. I'm Glenn Crooks. Have a great day, everybody.